We all strive to reach the very top of our careers. Most of us set aspirations of what we want to achieve and set out our lives towards that. Unfortunately, we leave very little room for our personal care as we get there and once we do, we find it being rather lonely right at the top, where the weight of our responsibilities as well as our decisions bear on us. We find ourselves grappling with life's insecurities, filtering into our work as we know our choices does affect the wider world around us. So in this episode, I speak to Nick Johnson, a speaker, author, business owner, entrepreneur, and volunteer who's dedicated to raising awareness and eliminating the stigma around the phenomenon of executive loneliness. We explore what exactly this term loneliness really means, how we face it both in our personal and professional lives. We do ask this question if it is something like all others being affected by our current new normal from this 2020 into 2021. Most importantly, we discuss five pathways of overcoming isolation, stress, anxiety, and depression in the modern business world. Have a listen. So we're here for another episode of uh, Talk To Me and this time we're going to talk about loneliness if you heard in the intro. Okay, not exactly loneliness, but we're going to talk about a specific type of loneliness or I'm going to learn about it exactly as well because uh, this is a term which maybe I had at the back of my mind, but I never really thought about it very intentionally. And I think we've got someone here who actually wrote a whole book about it. So let's dive into it a little bit. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Nigesh. I appreciate the invitation. No problem. And it's great sometimes to have uh, someone who's just in sort a neighbor because we've been doing this virtually. Uh, Nick is in Singapore right now. So I'm in Malaysia. So finally, I get to do one of these recordings, which are at decent hours, not like really late at night or early in the morning. So thank you for that, Nick. Welcome and thank you again. Maybe let's start exploring this. When I saw the topic or when it was suggested to me from uh, your team as well, I, I sort of digged into your book or tried to get uh, an idea or a sense of what it was talking about. But this term, it's very curious. I think it's there, but people don't quite think about it. I want to ask you this very first question itself, executive loneliness. What is it exactly? Well, Nigesh, I think we can take even one step further back and ask us first, what is loneliness before sure. we define executive loneliness? And that is what I did when I started to write this book one and a half year ago. And I was asked on radio then in an interview, what is loneliness? Mm -hmm. And there's obviously two kinds of loneliness. We have one healthy loneliness, which means that we might miss someone. Mm -hmm. And perhaps we're sitting at home and we, we miss our wife and we're waiting for her to come home from work. Mm -hmm. That is a healthy loneliness another loneliness is when it becomes uh, chronic when you are surrounded by your family you're surrounded by your loved ones and you don't feel a connection you still mm. feel lonely mm. so if we then take that kind of loneliness into the environment of a work mm. then we get executive loneliness mm. uh, so it is when you are around your colleague you're mm. at the lunch break perhaps you're at the staff gathering mm. or you're in a in the or you know in a meeting with all your team and so on and you just don't feel connected mm. they are there you know they like you and you normally had perhaps before a connection but that mm. connection has been lost that is what i refer to in my book as executive loneliness so maybe I was assuming it completely wrongly then when I heard executive loneliness, I was thinking about um, how it would be when 
someone who sort of in a work environment as they sort of move up in their career, uh, that whole idiom where it's loneliest at the top. So I was thinking that, but you kind of set a whole different tone right now, which got me now questioning. Okay, so you mentioned, or you, you started with whole loneliness, uh, where there's good kind of loneliness and there's the bad kind of loneliness, right? So let me ask, how does that bad kind of loneliness kind of starts manifesting itself? Well, it all starts from within. Right. If for a start, we don't feel happy with ourselves. If we're not healthy with ourselves, if our diet is wrong, if we are not exercising, mm. then we have something even called a uh, gut feeling, where the gut mm. is connected to the brain. Mm. So if you're not well internally, and mm -hmm. if you don't love yourself, or mm. if you don't have a healthy relationship about mm. yourself, uh, I've, for example, I've interviewed in my book executives who have told me that uh, when they didn't feel well, they couldn't even look themselves in the mirror. So when mm. they were in the bathroom to shave themselves in the morning, they did it with the light off. And that means that, mm. you know, they're not happy with themselves, perhaps the actions or who they are as a human being. Mm. So they sort of lost that connection. They lost that feeling to themselves. So obviously then if you cannot connect with yourself when you are with other uh, colleagues at work, then uh, is extremely challenging, of course, to connect to others. Mm. So it's, am I imagining it right where it's like a bucket and call this the bucket of loneliness per se. And uh, as you are in your personal life, getting more and more lonelier because of all these different different sort of uh, external effects on yourself, it kind of fills up, fills up, fills up, fills up. And then it sort of goes over the edge and this is where then it filters into other parts of your life. It's not contained to your home life anymore. Is that a sort of a right way to look at it? Yes. I mean, if you're strong and healthy and good in one area in life, it tends to spill over. If you are mm. successful in sport, then perhaps you that means that you have your discipline in order. You're probably eating right. You're getting your fitness. You're getting your break. And mm. that probably means that you're performing well in at work as well. But if you're losing your fitness, mm. if you're then many bad things will fall with that. You maybe not sleep well. Uh, mm. Your blood pressure is high. You are struggling to concentrate and everything else. Uh, so it's it's really is a pattern, and that's what I'm laying out in my book when mm -hmm. I dis discuss the different steps basically to take. But I, I always say that it's it's really starting from within. So I've also got this sort of framing question before we move forward, right? Uh, and this framing question is: when you say executive, who exactly are you referring to when you say executive? So that you know, for our listeners, they kind of also frame. Uh, okay, when I say, when we start really going deep into executive loneliness, what exactly are we talking about? So who's the executive here that you're framing? So in my book, it is about senior executives. It right. is about lonely at the top because mm. in my work in Singapore, uh, where I'm the founder and MD of a networking organization mm. where we work with senior executives, uh, we create confidential peer groups. Mm. Uh, and I've been to a few hundred of these over the last five years where I've listened to senior executives uh, when they share the struggle and the challenges they have in the work. Mm -hmm. And 
they decide to open up in our forums because everyone uh, signed a non-disclosure agreement. We provide a facilitator and mm -hmm. they meet in small groups of around 20. Uh, where they then are really laying out these are the f challenges I'm facing. So these are the problems and the challenges that they cannot discuss with their colleagues at work. They cannot discuss it with the owner of the business. Mm -hmm. They cannot discuss it with a team below them. They might not be able to discuss this at home with a family either. Mm -hmm. So they are left with these big decisions to run the business uh, and make the, the big decisions. And that's what they are paid for. Uh, and uh, therefore, those decisions can be extremely lonely. So in my mm. book, and uh, I'm really basing based on interviews and surveys that I did of senior executives. And to be even more specific, uh, where I'm based in Singapore, then uh, I'm dealing mainly with vice presidents, regional directors, CEOs, mm. executive directors, and that level. Uh, the only reason also I said today also that it's executive is because as I've written my book over the last five years, I realized that it's not only lonely at the top, it can also be lonely in any level of an organization. So that's why it's important that we also include those. But uh, the book is specifically written in mind for senior executives. All right. So maybe because we've got only X number of time or X amount of time during this podcast, let's let's focus on how your book is focused as well, like the, the senior leadership. And for those who are listening, because um, I guess we also got to be aware that in this current day and age, being a senior leader has got nothing to do with age, right? We've, we've got people who are in senior leadership positions who are as early as in their 30s. And if you're a successful business owner who has built a either multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar business, you can even be in your 20s. So people will get to that position. And... I kind of want to resound what you're saying because I've now been in multiple management positions and I am in one right now as well. Um, and I've got this sense of feeling all the time. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe I never explored this. I don't know if I have anything that's filtering in for my personal life, but for my work life itself, it's the gravity of the decisions that I have to make. And sometimes how alone I feel when I've, you're right when I got to make those decisions, I've maybe got people I can just bounce things off. But ultimately, regardless of how many conversations I have, I'm going to be the one making that choice. I'm going to be the one to have to live with that choice in the end of the day as well. I'm going to be the one who has got to face the consequences of good or bad or whatever that might happen in that choice. And that weighing in on me is that, that, that sense of loneliness that I feel. So I've got this question for you. Now you worked in Singapore, and I think it's a it's a it's a melting part melting part a little bit more in Singapore than in Malaysia, where you get uh, regional senior leaders from many different multinational companies. So you get to kind of see the different slices of Asian executives versus versus uh, those maybe coming from European regions or or the American regions. Do you see them expressing this differently? This executive loneliness differently? They have a unique position and a unique struggle, and that is the, they're working across different time zones. So uh, most of them will have a, a boss who they report to, probably a CEO or a global uh, head in US or in Europe. So that means that they're working with the teams in Asia during the whole day here. And when Europe and then US wakes up, it's evening. And when mm. other people will take time off to perhaps go exercise, spend time with the family, that's when they need to go on conference call. And mm. on it goes until perhaps 
10 p.m. midnight some until mm. 2 a.m. and these are calls that they have to be on so they find themselves in, in this unique position where they really have to be on those calls and most of those calls are with other team members in other regions mm. and they focused it's a topic it's mm. not necessarily a discussion with a with a team or with a boss about how they are feeling, how they are doing, and to help them with the decisions. They're just given extremely aggressive KPIs, and they have been hired by the company to represent the firm out in Asia. And uh, many times the company will even think, well, it's Asia. One tactic applies to all countries. But as you and I know, Nigesh, it's a big difference between Malaysia and Vietnam and Myanmar or India, right? So here you have to make deal with all the cultural differences. And in the survey I did of the senior executive, uh, what was the most challenging part of your role to be a leader in Asia? Mm. It was just that, the, the cultural differences. Uh, mm. And the next part of this is, and how to communicate this and how to manage your head office to understand that you cannot really apply it all in the same uh, way because it's different mm. laws and regulations in all the different markets. Mm. Uh, so that is the unique challenge that the, these leaders have. And they all agree that it's more challenging to lead a big company in Asia than it is in the West. And I, I tend to agree with that. And you, you just hit the nail right there. Um, if one thing I realized in uh, the Asian region itself, um, and I think it will be prevalent anywhere, like even if you look at a bigger country like the United States or anywhere in Europe, country to country and we should never sort of put everything together into a region and say that this is how the region operates country to country the culture is very different let's just take an example of singapore and malaysia they're just neighbors they're just neighbors but yet there is a cultural difference in how they operate and in in malaysia when you talk about a senior leader versus a senior leader in singapore it's also very different Yes. Um, and you're right. Like you, you talk about Vietnam. You talk about Thailand. You talk about um, um, Cambodia. It's very different country to country. There's some similarities, perhaps, but they are just one or two. You you kind of forget all the other nuances, and that kind of affects uh, when. And you gave a good example there, like how a person who represents the region now has to first operate the regions and then communicate with the head office, which is in Europe or US, and trying to get the message across. Now, that's a good segue for this question. Has it changed now, especially now? You know how the world is at the moment. We can't move anywhere. Um, from time to time, there's going to be either a lockdown or in Singapore, they call it a second uh, shot circuit breaker. Is that what they call yes, it? Yes, yes. Circuit breaker, is. correct. Um, and more and more, our work is becoming virtual like this we are right now virtual recording the session so less facetime less ability for us to communicate communicate context on something so um i guess my question is this with this current new normal is this executive loneliness becoming a bit more prevalent or is it something that just never made any difference it's still the same we know that some industries have been suffering greatly and mm-hmm. uh, so that's those challenges there. Other businesses are growing through the roof because the business has been in demand such as digital software mm-hmm. and, and so on. So those are unique challenges depending on how the business goes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first wave was that businesses that were not really well run, they went bankrupt and these executives were laid off, lost their jobs and relocated home very, very quickly. We saw that sort of happening already in March, April last year. Mm-hmm. but. Overall, the most companies are 
still in Asia for the long term, so they survived through it. But executives then who typically would travel perhaps once a quarter to the head office and meet with a team over there, the, the global team, and meet with a boss and have that one-on-one -on -one conversation. Perhaps they, uh, if they play golf, they might go out for a game of golf or a game of tennis or a dinner and some social drinks to break that uh, barrier between them. And that's when perhaps the most honest sharing is coming. Mm. Not about the business, but how is it with a wife over there, the children, and that's, that kind of talk is something that doesn't really happen online. So while we are in more Zoom calls than ever before, so when we communicate more about with the team, it is a very effective way of working. It's constantly back-to-back -back, uh, calls, and we're invited to more meetings than ever before because people even in head office have found their way, and they're all working online now. So why not invite the colleagues in Asia also? They can join this now. So we are maybe more included, but we are more excluded from what really matters, and that is how we are feeling. And um, I actually... As it happens, Nigesh, I started to write my book uh, about one and a half year ago, so uh, before COVID. Uh, and the interesting part is that I did a survey and the interviews before COVID. Mm. And uh, the survey findings of senior executives before COVID was that 30% of them either had been or are, so, uh, or are at the point of being questioned, suffered by uh, from executive loneliness. Mm. I did the same survey to the same group of people in December 2020, mm. when we're in the middle of a pandemic, mm -hmm. and the number had doubled. Oh. Wow. So that just shows, and I think that uh, answers your question. Right. Uh, yes, we feel more lonely. And then I went one step further to ask them, why is that? And it is exactly what I said, because the conversations are not meeting face to face mm. due to that they couldn't travel. And But it's also one more thing here. And it is about being worried for your own future and safety. Let's say that you're based in Singapore, you have two children in the school, mm. your wife is here, everyone is here, and you know that there's so many changes as mergers, acquisitions, and mm. companies going bankrupt. You see your colleagues being mm. laid off mm. uh, constantly. And of course, you don't really feel safe and secure internally. Mm. So that leads to the next thing here is that while you may be suffering, you have something on your mind. Uh, my uh, research shows also that um, about 80% of the executives wouldn't talk to the company about this. They would keep it internally within them for two reasons. And one is that they're not meeting face to face, so they don't get the chance. Secondly, they're scared that if they share this uh, on a Zoom call, you know, maybe there's someone else there listening and maybe someone who shouldn't hear this. Yeah. And then maybe they are not up for the next promotion or uh, they, they don't want to worry the CEO or the board that they are not strong leaders and that they are not uh, well and healthy. Mm. Instead, they rather talk about the good things they do. Before I sort of go into an example I was thinking about as you spoke about that, because that kind of hit a nerve a little bit, uh, is in case you're hearing some background noises and I think you heard some noise coming out of my room as well. We're all working from home. So <laughs> unfortunately, you're going to hear noises. And I think uh, Nick was also sort of getting his audio into a better state as well. So sorry about that, guys. This is how it is these days. We're, we're, we're doing our best from wherever we are. But Nick is right. Now it allows us to connect. But Nick is also right. It we are not necessarily connecting on the human level. 
we're connecting at a very task-based level. Oh, that's what I realized as well. Like um, I do work with a team, which uh, there are some who are in India. I do from time to time talk with a few of my, uh, my uh, team members is in Europe, uh, but more so I look back home here in Malaysia. Uh, now that we are working in a pandemic era, one of the, you, you kind of said it there really well, and that's my biggest worry, as, especially for my team. It's not, it's not my future, essentially, so maybe my experience is a little different, but it's more of their well-being because I don't get to see them face-to-face anymore in the office. Like in the office, there's this gut feel, you say that, gut feel, that if you're there, you're looking at one of your team members talking to you, you get this gut feel whether they're doing okay or not. And that's the same instant that you can already ask hey, you sound like you're not doing too well. What's going on, right? Or the other way around as well. They get to see how you're feeling and we kind of react off that. But now that we are on like virtual calls, it's a bit more harder to kind of observe that. You can, but it's a little bit more harder. And the other thing is because we feel like, okay, we are sitting at home, we're working, we're on a Zoom call. Let's just schedule things back to back to back to back to back. And as a leader, you're already, or an executive, you're already thinking that, okay, I've got this next meeting coming up. I've got this next meeting coming up. I've got this next meeting coming up. I can only spend X amount of time with this person. I've got to jump to the next thing. And by the end of the day, what you end up feeling is this absolute dream that, gosh, the day is gone. I did not have any meaningful conversations I did not have any sort of human connection at all. It's just been work, 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 work. That's what I feel. Is that something that you observed as well? Yes, certainly. Uh, That is something that is very common among, uh, I think, humans these times, but senior executives especially because they're working extremely long hours and have to make uh, precious uh, big decisions. And uh, they are suffering. They're invited to more calls than ever because they have the... The, the, the meetings that are happening locally, but as I said, it's very easy for people in the other countries and regions to know that you're working from home, so you mm-hmm. should be available. So they send you an invitation anyway. And uh, I, I heard from one of the members who's working for a big MNC here in Singapore. He said he used to spend 45 minutes to travel by uh, the train mm-hmm. to work every day, but his team now found out that that 45 minute slot, which was his commuting slot, that he's home. So they start to fill up yeah, his uh, slot there as well, you know, mm. with, with meetings and calls during that 45 minute slot. So mm. he's working longer and it is it is just ongoing and it doesn't seem to stop. We're becoming more efficient and we uh, the companies uh, quickly see that this is more productive. So they give you more targets and they give you more new mm. incentives and all kind of things. Uh, so it, it, it just becomes an ongoing circle, unfortunately. Yeah, and we... I think we as human beings need time to process as well. And we forget that though we are in a commute for 45 minutes and I, I now appreciate the time. So usually in the mornings I have like about, same, about a 45 minute commute. I need to send my son to daycare and then a commute to work. So by the time I reach work, um, yeah, I've got 45 minutes from home to work and likewise the other way around. But as human beings, we need that empty space so that we can sort of process the day and sort of understand that, okay, this is, these are why I felt the way I felt. These are what I'm going to do. Maybe some empty time just to do some something else before you get back at it again. But you're right. Now it's that 45 minutes is available and everyone packs that in. So when do you have me time? <laughs> That's missing already, right? So 
now I actually want to dive a little bit into something you mentioned as part of your book. Um, and I think it's a good place to introduce that and understand this. So you, we're moving into how we can deal with executive loneliness per se. And in your book, you kind of cover these five pathways, right? Uh, so maybe let's, let's talk about that one by one. Um, these five pathways, how, how should one look at them? And then what will be the first one that we look at? Yeah, so basically, uh, in the book, I'm looking basically on the recovery. So for someone who has been suffering or who is suffering from executive loneliness, mm -hmm. but if it's not for yourself, it could be a colleague, a friend or a family mm -hmm. member who's going mm -hmm. through it. So the, the first thing there is to find out uh, or realize that you're suffering or if someone else is suffering. And uh, but if you want to look out for one of your friends or colleagues, look out for uh, if they perhaps have lost appetite for something, if they used to play the guitar for 15 years every mm. day and that was a big passion, they suddenly stopped. Mm. Uh, maybe a mother who lost the appetite of being a, a mother or mm. someone who quickly gained a lot of weight. So mm. look out for that around you. And if you find someone or yourself uh, in this trap of executive loneliness, the path then indeed to do all the five steps that I went through myself when I had a challenging time, when I had a crash in 2018. And that's what I'm sharing in the book. And mm -hmm. the first step there is what I call taking stock. You need to basically get honest with yourself and ask yourself, uh, where are you at? You know, you need mm -hmm. to write this down, almost like making a moral inventory where you write down in a, on a paper or in a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. It's almost yeah. like a shop. If you have yeah. a have you, if you have your own business, you would do a stock take once a year, you would check yeah. where everything is. So on this list, you write down everything that's going on, you know, and, uh, and you can do it by yourself or you can do it with a coach or someone and mm. really talk through it. And, yeah. and then once you've written it down, uh, you really go over and you ask yourself about deeper, deeper. Mm. And I even shared my list uh, with my wife and I said, these are the areas uh, where I'm not well, I was overweight, I was consuming too much alcohol, mm -hmm. I had some poor relationships, uh, uh, some bad words was exchanged with my sister, I was mm -hmm. walking around carrying that with me. So all the things that basically uh, you have, uh, have on your mind, maybe you have a credit card debt or mm -hmm. there's a mm -hmm. colleague that you have uh, some some issues and that's keeping you up at, at night. So that is the first step to really write down everything that's going on in your life, in all areas of your life. Uh, a quick question there, Nick, how specific should a person get with this? Or is it sort of, um, as they get more used to it, they get more specific with this? Uh, you should be very specific. And this okay. may this may take uh, a few weeks to write this kind of list. You go back to it, you add more. Uh, I wrote about 80 to 100 different things on my list. I mm. heard there was the one guy in, in my uh, recovery program that I was in at the time in 2018 who found 400 items. And it can be things going back to, uh, you know, even when you're a young adult or childhood, uh. it might be, uh, someone you scold that or you walked out of a relationship back then and you never apologize for it. Or it could be something uh, uh, that you were part of a small charity when you played high school football and you stole $10 uh, uh, from from that petty and that's been on your mind still. You remember that $10. Mm. So all these things you really need to write down there. Something you said there, which reminded me as well, and to all our listeners out there, um, don't sort of take lightly how things from even our childhood can be affecting us even right now. 
And something Nick mentioned there is critical. If you don't intentionally look for it, you're always going to be wondering, why am I feeling this way? If you kind of look for it, you write it down and unravel it, you'll find finally and you'll realize that, oh gosh, oh golly, that was the thing that's affecting me. That's the thing that is actually bringing all these things out of me. And you'll be able to start working on that. So I really recommend what Nick just mentioned here. Um, take stock or journal start journaling and you'll find yourself in practice and you find yourself being able to actually open up yourself before anything else. So Nick, what's the next pathway after that? After taking stock? It's really asking for help. Uh, I, once you identify the, the areas which are really, really the main areas. Mm -hmm. In my case, it was I had uh, developed an alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. I had to sort that out. So mm -hmm. that I went to uh, an anonymous support group uh, right. where other people had alcohol problems mm -hmm. and that dealt with that issue. Mm -hmm. I also identified that I was extremely overweight and I lost my health. So mm -hmm. I uh, got a fitness coach who worked with me on that. Mm -hmm. I also got tip and advice in regards to nutrition to make sure I sorted the diet out. So mm -hmm. all these key areas where I needed help, I sought help. Hmm. And so that is really the second step and really not be scared to ask for help. There's so many people out there who love to help each other hmm. uh, and it doesn't have to be expensive. Someone said, I don't have the funds to do that. Hmm. Uh, the, the, the support group to help me with uh, the alcohol challenge I had was a $2 a day uh, Singapore dollar voluntary donation. If you hmm. didn't have $2, you didn't have to pay. The, there's so many charities out there. Uh, mm. that can help and if someone is even worse off if you are suicidal even in Singapore there is an agency called SOS Samaritans but mm -hmm. most countries have all these hotlines full of volunteers who, who are there people ready to speak so the second step and this is where really it can save people's life is take the list take the inventory and identify the key parts and ask for help I think it's also important to, 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 to understand that you don't have to fear their help right because like you said nick there are a lot of people who are willing to give you the help and most of the time we have just have to understand that we are just scared to ask the help because we are afraid perhaps by asking for help not that the person helping us is going to judge us but people around us we think that as people around us are going to judge us for doing this like example um you admitting and you saying right on this call that you had an alcohol addiction mm -hmm. and you went to seek help very consciously that perhaps I, I don't know, I'm asking this question. Did you have to fight yourself in the sense that, Oh my gosh, if I do this right now, people are going to know what are they going to think about me? Yes, definitely. And uh, that is, it's the big stigma and surrounding everything here uh, on, on this step. And it doesn't matter what problem or challenge or addiction mm. or, or whatever is perceived by society as not a, a good thing that mm. you should be proud of is it is the stigma to talk around that. Uh, but the good thing here is that once you start to talk to someone and asking mm. for help, mm. in my case, I first told my wife, I'd kept mm. it secret for her. I told my wife what was going on. Mm. Then when I came to seek help for the alcohol addiction, mm. I told them what was going on in my mm. life. That gave me the courage then to see the coach and tell him the honest story. And then I went to the doctor mm. and I shared my honest story. So it's almost like a muscle. The more you use it, the better you get at it. Right. And that's why I'm, uh, sharing my story in this book because I believe that in order to maintain my recovery, I need to keep sharing, and and that's why I'm fine to share with you today right. about my right. story. Yeah, right, right. I, I agree with that completely. Now, so it seems like wow, we went from stock to already asking for help. 
where do you go to next? Uh, then it's really the action. You need to start ah, okay, healthy. Okay. And, and, and as I said earlier, it starts within. So many times it will be uh, both mentally and physically. Mm. Many times here it will be uh, sorting out the diet, getting the exercise, mm. getting mm. the mm. sleep, mm. and uh, making sure you sign up and you join those therapy sessions or whatever the problem is you need to just really get healthy yourself put yourself in the best shape get back that uh, confidence in yourself uh, mm -hmm. so that you're ready uh, for the for the future steps and that's that's critical as well because um nothing happens without your involvement that's what i like to say to my team most of the time like it's great to plan it's great to strategize those are nice on paper and even it's great to ask for help because yes, you've got, you've got now a little bit more impetus, but until action is taken, you would not see any consequence or any results. So, yep. Number three action. What's number four after that? Yeah. And, and number three is really taking action in regards to your health. Number four is uh, taking action in regards to your relationships. And I call <sighs> okay. it in my book, nurturing healthy relationship. Right. And what I mean with that step is to make amends. It's right. about going over that inventory list and ideally to do it with a coach or a person you really trust mm -hmm. and to go over list by list, one person by one person and go back to these people even if it was 10 or 20 years ago mm. and apologize uh, if you can. But the mm -hmm. key is here, don't go back to them if you believe that you will hurt the person or just, you know, maybe damage a relationship. Maybe that person is married to someone and you mm. would, you know, maybe disturb them. Don't do that. But if it is someone in your family, you said something 10 years ago and it's still on your mind, mm. then go back to that person and, and say, and make amends, say you're sorry for what happened that you have changed now. And if you stole that $10 from a charity 20 years ago and it's on your conscious, uh, find out their bank details and send an anonymous donation of $10. They don't have to identify who you are. It's all about in this step to set everything right. If you have a credit card debt, call up the company and make a plan with them, even if you're just okay. starting to pay something. So that right. is uh, that step to fix all the relationship around you. Right. So interesting that you mentioned that. So relationships can also extend as your professional or transactional relationships as well. So like, you gave that example of a debt. So it's a transactional relationship that you are fixing with your provider, your bank provider or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So we can see that that way as well. Of course, also here in regards to executive loneliness and the book mm. about repairing all the relationships you have in your organization, mm. but also in your past jobs and to basically clean up your whole professional career so that when you look back at that, uh, there's nothing at, at your end, which mm. is dirty. It's about cleaning your end of the street. If people right. don't accept your apology, that's fine. And if you cannot reach them, if they're not available for a call, send an email, send a letter, mm. you've done your part and you can move on you kind of answered a question that I had in mind as well. So it's like cleaning up the closet of all the junk and dirt and all that kind of thing. It, it doesn't matter if you get, or someone gives you something new to put inside the closet. It's just, as long as you keep it clean, then your conscience is clean as well. That's right. And right. I mean, the, the, we do it here uh, as a one-off to clean up your whole life. And mm. the next step, and uh, not part of, uh, not, not the next step in the book, but part of this is then you start to do this on a daily basis. So right. before you go to bed every day after that, you're looking back at the day 
did I scold at someone? Did I say something I shouldn't have said? And if that was the case, try to make amends before you go to bed. Send a WhatsApp to that person, say, sorry, I didn't really mean that or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you can go to bed knowing that you cleaned up right. that day. So it's not just one big moment. It's also then making a practice for daily life as well. That's right. All right. Okay. What is the final one? The fifth one? The fine, uh, fifth one is finding your purpose something that you know so many people are, are struggling with and mm -hmm. it's i'm 46 years old myself and i'm at a very interesting time of in my life it's tend to be for us men we we find this uh, <laughs> half in the 40s and we yeah. have to make it uh, some of us like me have to make a big mess first and do a lot of mistakes and go down the wrong path until we find it like in my case the, the very painful way mm -hmm. others have a bit easier to find it but it's really about finding that what is it that i want to get out of my life mm -hmm. uh, and especially here, we're talking about the executives. Many of the senior executives have had a very successful career. Mm. Money is perhaps not an issue for them. Mm. So what kind of legacy do they want to leave behind? Mm. And it's really about then, you know, looking yourself also in the mirror here again and thinking, who, who am I? Who's mm. the person I want to be? So it's about slowing down here, stopping, perhaps working with a life coach or a coach, someone who can really help you to identify uh, this uh, and really to work on your purpose. Uh, and this can be scary, right, at this step, because um, the example I'm going to bring up, as we are recording this, one of the hot news that is going on around is about Bill and Melinda Gates at this very point, right? Uh, they're separating, but there's no sensational news that, oh, Bill cheated, or Melinda this did, did that or did this. But I'm reading a lot of spaces talking about it's not about whether they love each other, they don't live, love each other and all that kind of thing. It's a consideration made of their purpose in life and how they are contributing to each other and whether they are at that right space where they are providing good value to each other. And based on that, they kind of decided, okay, you know what? This may not be the right thing for the both of us anymore. So we need to find different ways to find our purpose. Now, my question to you, Nick, would be, these are going to be very scary situations. They're going to happen, but we're going to have to face this, right? Mm. Um, do we just, because your steps kind of, kind, of, uh, kind of spells it out by itself. If at this point, at the point where we are reaching that we got to find a purpose and we find that, uh oh, I've got to think about something new. Can we sort of retrace those steps again and try to find, okay, this is exactly going to be my purpose? Well, yeah, this could be a very long step and maybe the person is not ready for it, but hopefully you have cleaned up uh, your past, you, you're healthy, you're mm. eating well, you're exercising, you're sleeping, you repaired your relationships, so you're living, you're in a pretty good space here. Mm. Uh, hopefully you're uh, also getting some uh, own time for meditating and when you do that, you probably start to get that space. So you get that quiet period for yourself. Mm. Then the purpose will normally come to you one way or the other. They will mm. come in ways, there will be signals coming. Mm. Uh, so it, you don't have to rush this stage. This is where you can be for quite some time. And it's not a one-time thing also, right? It can happen multiple times in your life. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, the, the key here, I think, is to talk through with someone and not just by yourself. You get a lot of own time, which is great, but it's good to have someone who can also talk you through it and structure it and so on. Right. Uh, it's the case what I did to myself. Yeah. Mm, mm, okay. So for our listeners out there, just to recap those five steps so that you know, and Nick, again, correct me if I'm saying this wrongly. Uh, the first one is take stock or, or journal out 
everything as you can, as specific as possible. Ask for help in all those things that you find out. And then the next would be um, actions for your relationship. Uh, sorry, actions for your health first. And then actions for your relationship. And then finally finding your purpose. And uh, now that I look back at all five again, uh, it kind of answers that question, which I asked as well. So never think about, uh, am I right to say it this way? Never think about it as a very linear thing that you're going to go through. At time, from time to time, you're going to have to keep on doing this and stepping back and also um, seeing whether there are new things to take stock of, new things to ask for help, new things, new actions to take for your health, new actions to take for your relationships will ultimately will uh, contribute towards your purpose. Yes, definitely. And, and the steps uh, are something that we need to repeat. And sometimes maybe we are we are lost a bit of fitness and we need to go into that. Sometimes we perhaps have been too selfish in our decisions, especially that can happen at work. Right. Maybe we're trying to elbow our way up to get the next promotion, stepping on the wrong on some people and mm. maybe not behaving in the best way. Mm. Then we need to go back and, and uh, write that in the inventory list again and mm. go back and make those amends and work on that to mm. make things right. So this is an ongoing uh, ongoing steps for the rest of our life. So we kind of reached the, 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 the end of the podcast at the moment. So Nick, if there's any plug you, that you want to sort of let our listeners know so that um, they can either contact you, get in touch with you or engage with you in some way or there's something new coming out, uh, there's the book, which is Executive Loneliness. But is there anything else that you sort of want to shout out to everybody, all our listeners? Well, uh, if, if someone hasn't uh, read the book yet, they can go to Amazon. It's on sale in, uh, on Amazon. Uh, it's already an international bestseller there. So if you search for Executive Loneliness, you will find the book. Mm -hmm. And if you're not uh, an Amazon customer, then it's also on Google Books. It's on also Apple Books and Barnes and Nobles. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where you can get a the book if you want to get in touch with me and uh, if you want to have a conversation with me uh, then you can reach me my name is nick johnson on linkedin the best mm -hmm. to find me on linkedin uh, n-i-c-k-j-o-n-s-s-o-n if you mm -hmm. send me a connect request i will accept it and i'm looking forward to remaining in touch with you all right so also don't worry we are gonna put nick's links and also links to his book as we post out this uh podcast so look out for that nick thank you so much for joining us all the way from singapore i get to say that you're a neighbor and thank you for the timing as well but great great conversation uh looking forward to speaking with you again real soon nick thank you so much That was a good listen for all of you and looking forward to having you with us in the next episode released every friday talk to me is brought to you by nicole it's a learning experience platform that brings you ai-powered personal and contextual learning with expert curated curriculum and communities that allows any customized blended learning solutions all in one app the team at nicole aims to provide a tool for everyone to choose as well as accelerate their skills, growth, career, and future. So we invite you to join us. Check out nickel.app to find out more and let's Nicole. <laughs>